podcast is brought to you by Grandpa Still Remembers. Grandpa Paul's practical parables are part of his real-life experiences. What is learned from the life we live has a lot to do with the perspective that defines our priorities. What is remembered is colored by our perception of the purpose for which we have the privilege of living in the first place. What is your life? It is a mist that appears for a moment and then vanishes away. There are those who live as if life's focus is to prepare them for retirement. There are government plans to build up retirement funds, even in Zaire, where Grandpa lived and worked for many years, though he never paid into the SNSS accounts established by the government there. I was, however, accused of being the cause of the death of one of my retired employees. His name was Bailey. A Bailey had been properly retired from his employment at the Ray Academy dorm and was eligible to receive his retirement benefits from the Société Nationale de Sécurité Sociale in Zaire. Plans set up by any government rarely work as anticipated. We had diligently researched our responsibilities as an employer and submitted all the required payments into the SNSS fund for Bailey. Except for the currency conversion from francs to Zaire's, the law apparently had not been revised since it was established by the Belgian authorities in Leopoldville. The country was then known as the Belgian Congo. Now, in order to retire in compliance with the law, the age of the employee needs to be established. When I was assigned to be the dorm supervisor at Rayleigh, I suddenly became the employer of about 25 workers, all of whom were already working, having been hired and trained by those before me. Each knew his daily tasks, and things were running smoothly. I knew only a few of the workers, but most knew me from before the Simba Rebellion, when I was one of the MKs at the school. I knew Silvano and Abrahamo and Osea, but I knew nothing about a Bailey, except that he was old for sure. Ellen and I were in the intermediate dorm with 23 children to care for when we first became aware of a Bailey as he went about his daily tasks. We didn't even know his name. His was the job of making sure we had hot water and clean floors. Having running water in the dormitory at all was the result of a lot of resourcefulness and skilled work through the 70 years that Ray the Academy had been in existence. The source of water was a spring in the valley about half a mile away and several hundred feet lower than Dorm Hill. Having hot running water required a lot of ingenuity and effort as well since the heat came from firewood harvested from the black wattle forests planted in the early days of the school. The wood heat was no longer transferred from an open flame under a half drum of water supported on rocks but delivered using an enclosed firebox. The bricked-in drum was plumbed in to pipe the water directly into the building. Making and tending the fires under the hot water drums for the three dormitories, the laundry, the cookhouse, the dishroom, the pantry, and the infirmary was no small task. Fortunately for a bailey, black wattle makes excellent firewood and will burn even though green, 
with the sap hissing and bubbling from the wood on the end away from the flame. Carrying hot coals from an existing fire, planer shavings from the carpenter shop, and using partially burned wood remaining from the last fire, Bailey would assemble the materials, then go off to lay the next fire. White smoke would soon become evident, drifting up from among the shavings that Bailey had cupped around the glowing coals using his dry, calloused hands. Unattended, the smoke would gradually intensify, and then eventually a small flickering flame would appear. It was almost uncanny that Bailey would always come, staggering around the corner, pushing a loaded wheelbarrow of firewood at exactly the right time to tend his fire. He would add a few small pieces to keep it going, pile firewood nearby to be used as needed during the day, then move on to the next water heater. Ebele had an invariable routine, certainly having worked out the best paths to follow to each water heater when pushing his heavily loaded wheelbarrow of firewood. He always wore the same khaki shorts, which somehow retained a bell shape around his thin bowed legs with the large knobby knees. His cracked black plastic shoes, possibly originally designed to resemble dress shoes, had no lacings left, yet they still stayed on his wide, dusty, bare feet. Ronnie must have also observed the aged man with the bent body slowly pushing the heaped wheelbarrow load toward the biggie dorm. This inspired Ronnie to offer his help. Ronnie was in eighth or ninth grade and radiated the strength of his youth. Bailey looked up sideways from his stooped position as he listened, smiled, and then slowly set down his load for Ronnie. Black wattle firewood can be extremely heavy. When Ronnie confidently grasped the two handles, he no doubt felt acute embarrassment. The wheelbarrow abruptly tipped to fall on its side, dumping the carefully stacked load. Yes, Bailey was old, very old, yet he was still strong. He again smiled as he righted the wheelbarrow and began reloading. How old was Bailey? Shouldn't he be retired to enjoy the life he had left to live? What if he died on the job of a heart attack or something? When the children were at school between recess and lunch and all his fires burning well, Bailey would care for mopping the floors. We remember particularly when he mopped the long hallway that connected the intermediate dorm to the dining hall. He had a large bucket of water and a square of material cut from a cheap blanket that he used as the mop. The mop was rinsed in the water, wrung out, and then, on hands and knees, he removed the muddy footprints left by the kids on their way back to school. The process was repeated, this time to dry the area, just mopped. Bailey moved backwards down the hall, pushing the bucket behind him with his foot as he progressed. In our apartment, Ellen could hear the sounds of the soft swishing of the mop and Bailey's heavy, labored breathing. She heard the water as the mop was again rinsed, then the scrape of the bucket on the floor as he moved onward. As long as she heard his wheezing breathing, she knew he was still alive. We needed to find out how old he was. Certainly he was past the SNSS retirement age. Would we be blamed for keeping him working too long? We asked him when he was born. He didn't know. We asked Silvano and Hosea. Timona was old, too. We asked all of them. 
No one knew how old it Bailey might be. The records didn't exist. The older missionaries knew he'd been around a long time, certainly should be retired and not have to work anymore. Bailey smiled and agreed to retire. We knew very little about retirement in Zaire, but the SNSS rules existed in French, and we had been paying the tax monthly, sending the cash to Jugu, with the help of those who taught her, Stanley Klein, the field treasurer, and Marianne Crossman, Ellen filled out the forms with all the numbers, accurate as far back as we could find dorm records, with a Bailey as an employee. A Bailey's age was an estimate. We needed to submit the papers in the zone office in Jugu, 45 miles from Raley, on the road to Bunya. There was no mail service, no delivery service of any kind, and the road trip to Jugu took at least two hours by car in dry season. Since an elderly missionary, Dr. Harry Stam, and his driver, Opoki, were traveling that way for pastor training seminars, they took the papers down to be sure everything would be submitted in order. Ebele went with them, as of course he was the evidence that he existed, was very old, and was eligible for retirement. He could also be identified as the one to receive his SNSS benefits, as the documents from Raythe Dorm Academy proved. We were relieved that all was now in order, and Bailey could go back to his family village and enjoy his retirement. It wasn't our problem anymore. The next time I heard about Bailey, someone told me that he was walking from Jugu and I needed to go get him. I have no idea how he got to Jugu, but it turned out that in order to receive his retirement money, he had to show up in person to collect his SNSS benefits. With no mail service, no banks, there was no way to send out retirement checks from Kinshasa, about 3,200 kilometers away by road. So, the SNSS benefits were to be paid in cash. I suppose any SNSS money received from other workers was to be used to pay the retirees. The bureaucrats had no way to get their checks from Kinshasa either. So any money received for any reason was spent immediately. With no bus service and no taxis, I could only guess that a Bailey had gotten a free ride on the back of a truck headed to Bunya with farm produce. He was dropped off halfway to Bunya at the MPR monument in Jugu. He had walked the rest of the way to the zone office, only to get told that the money hadn't arrived and he needed to come back the next day. That left a Bailey with only one option, start the 45-mile walk back home. With no Zaires and no relatives in Jugu, he could only begin walking and hope that somebody, somewhere, would recognize him and help him. In that part of Zaire, there was no way to use any device, more modern than the tongue, to communicate quickly. Word of mouth can travel as fast as a man can walk, run, ride a bicycle, or ride on a Toyota Stout pickup. I received the communication, by mouth of course, so I followed the only road from Raythi to Jugu, and eventually met a Bailey walking from Jugu towards Raythi wasn't easy for him to climb up into my 4x4 Chevrolet pickup truck, but he did. And after we turned around, he gave me directions as to how to drive to his village. He lived near Raythe at Bois in a fairly small village of thatched roof huts, none of them in good repair. 
The hard ground around the huts had been swept bare by the daily cleaning, and nothing grew near the dwellings. When I stopped near his house, the bailey smiled, thanked me, and backed down off the seat of the truck to the ground. He was probably four times my age, and had walked many miles that day, yet it didn't seem appropriate for me to offer to lift him down, though I could have. He was safely home again to enjoy his retirement. I promptly forgot about him. What would a bailey do during his retirement years? He could sleep in with no need to show up for work at the dorm by 6.30 for morning devotions. The outside workers would all be there to listen to the daily light read by Silvano and Swahili before the daily assignments would be made. He was free. He had no assignment. He didn't have to listen to the Bible selections or pray. Rainy season had passed. He could soak in the morning sunshine, kick back and relax to enjoy his morning tea as he listened to the radio. He could use his retirement funds to be at ease and live the life he had always dreamed about. Of course, he had no dreams of living in a gated community in Florida with a golf course, a spa, and a pool. He lived at Bois in Zaire. Very probably, he tried to visit his children, maybe even traveling as far as Bunya. I doubt he tried many times to walk to Jugu to collect his promise SNSS payments, if he even tried at all. He certainly received no money from the government. Probably had no money saved. Probably had no sugar in his tea. His morning tea may have had no tea leaves in it either, as the tea, leaf, twigs, and stems were cheaper at the Bois market. I was so busy with my life and responsibilities, I didn't even ask about him. Never thought to go to visit him. It wasn't the end of a Bailey's story. I'll share more when you listen again next week. You've been listening to Paul's Parables, stories conveying a spiritual lesson from the perspective of a foreign culture. Music